everybody and welcome to Disabilities Not a Bar. Uh, as always, I'm your co-host Charlotte McDonald, along with Halima Farouk. And today we are joined by another guest who we are delighted has reached out to join us today. Uh, today we are joined by Ambia Katoon. So welcome to the podcast. We are delighted to have you on. Um, a little bit of an intro. Um, she studied law at Manchester. Um, and is now doing the BPC at the University of Law. She's a member of Inner Temple, uh, and which is RN, so we're going to try Woo! not to. <laughs> <laughs> out, out. Um, and she hopes to do family law and public inquests in the future. Welcome to the podcast. That's as much as I'm going to say for now, because we want to get on talking to you. You don't need to hear me talk about you. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you so much for having me. We are delighted to have you on. I'm going to pass over to Halima, who will kick the whole thing off. Absolutely. Honestly, I just want to echo um, Charlotte's welcome. Thank you so much for reaching out. It's always nice when people respond to the tweets that we put out because um, it is quite a little podcast that we started off and it has you know, just grown in numbers. So we're very thankful for people like yourself for actually reaching out and being like, hey, I kind of want to go on that. So thank you. Thank you. Um, the first question uh, which we ask everyone is, why law? You know, what made you um, want to become a barrister? Oh, God, this is such a cliche. I feel like everybody starts off like, oh, I've always wanted to be a barrister since I was six years old. Um, <laughs> well, Shannon no. did. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was 15. I, was, I wanted to be a vet when I was six. Then, oh, my then God, what a jump from vets to like this. Yeah, I know. Um, so... I remember there being, um, so there's this thing called Star Plus. Halima, mm -hmm. you know about Star Plus. So it's, uh, I do. it's a Bollywood channel. They have loads of like soaps, Indian movies, the sorts. And there was this one Indian um, soap that my family would watch as I was growing up. And there was, um, basically, I was very little and I didn't realise what was happening. But the bad guy got caught and he ended up in court. Mm -hmm. And the victim at the time was like oh my gosh I'm never going to get my justice I'm never going to be able to speak about what happened xyz and being a kid watching that and then seeing it all playing the Indian courtroom a very um mm -hmm. sensationalized glamorized um, yeah <laughs> glamorized dramatic version of it was like whoa this is something nice and at the same time I actually watched Legally Blonde as well probably shouldn't be watching all this as a kid but I saw that everything took place in the courtroom and then growing up I'd always been the one who would speak out the most I was very outspoken very opinionated and I realized that that was my asset to just have a voice and I think every like barrister to me says yes it's because I've got the voice and I can articulate myself well and then I realized that I can now take really abstract big pieces of information and relay them back to um demographics that don't have access to understanding the law and the way it works because mm -hmm. it effectively governs everything and in my community there's a massive accessibility issue and it just firmed it for me that okay this is what I want to do and then with respect to becoming a barrister I saw it on Star Plus in Kasotis in the Geeky I saw it in <laughs> Legally Blonde and yeah I knew I was going to be in a courtroom or I'd be advocating for somebody. My first ever like certificate that I got in reception was for the fact that I supported Khadija confidently. And I was, what, not even four years old. And I just think I knew I was going to be an advocate from day one. 
So God willing, that's kind of where it's going to end It's always one of those things where, where teachers and things say, oh, she's, she's very opinionated and she speaks her mind. And mm. this, that's really subtly saying she's a chatterbox and she won't shut mm. up in class. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, we all had that at some point. So yeah, I, don't, I don't think becoming a barrister surprised any of my teachers. I'm now a governor at my school and I go back and they're like, oh, yeah, we can see that. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what? Absolutely. When I was in school, they used to have chatterbox awards like chatterbox certificates and I've won so many my mum has literally like all of them together I've won so many it's so funny you <laughs> mentioned that it just barked like a call mem yeah. that's that feels like that's a great hilarious. compliment to be a ch- to get a chatterbox award <laughs> I know I love it yeah it's great to be sociable uh, <laughs> but yeah honestly that's... what what I love about your little um your your answer is that there's so many like cultural um things come out of it which which obviously I haven't had before or on a on a on a podcast interview like you've mentioned some channels that I used to watch as a child as well and and that and that my family from you know from a South Asian background used to watch so it's it's actually so amazing how things that we watch you know influence manifest yeah exactly or influences us um and they like we've had other people who've come on and said like um that they used to watch like the bill um uh, and then do you remember yeah. and then we've had other people who've come on and said yeah we used to be you know we used to watch this or that so it definitely definitely makes absolute sense um <laughs> now I was wondering Ambia if you could tell us more about your uh, medical condition and uh, how it affects you in a, in daily life um how long you've had it for and what sort of reasonable adjustments you might have needed in say uh, you've just finished the the bar course so in that so I have a condition known as dissociative identity disorder formerly known as multiple personality disorder um I've mentioned before how like the media has like a really I would say horrific portrayal of it like we're not murderers yeah. or secret villains on the side you've probably seen like you know the movie Split the movie Split's like the most common example of it so I, I have that um, I was diagnosed uh, June 2021 however oh, wow. I do believe that this condition has existed with me like I've been living with it since a very young age mm-hmm. um, it's basically the most further end complex part of PTSD mm-hmm. and less than two percent of the population are affected and it stems from like significant childhood trauma so obviously in June 2021 when I was diagnosed it took a very long time to kind of get to that point I'd been in and out of um, services hospital stays the lot from I would say about 2017 upwards um I actually ended up getting my university off for like the first day that I left the hospital after a stay and then since then it took me five years four five years to get through uni an interruption and then yeah now here I am I was able to do the bar course in terms of the way it affects me with the condition so you would exist as a singular so there is one you in your brain speaking in your mind you have one voice whereas for somebody with DID we share the brain space with multiple versions of ourselves I don't like to 
call them personalities. I prefer calling them alters or identities. Um, and they each have their own lifestyle, the things that they prefer, don't prefer, the way that they look, um, what they read, what they don't read, what they enjoy. Not everyone's a law student. Not everyone wants to be at the bar. And yeah, in terms of existing day to day, it is challenging. It has taken us a very long time in terms of like intensive therapy, working with services to kind of exist and manage our condition where I can live like either on my own or with my family and like have a very good quality of life. So in terms of university, it was very difficult because I was at uni whilst I was being diagnosed. It was actually through the University Mental Health Services that I was able to get this diagnosis. And I hadn't even realised that I had the condition at the time. Um, what we realised was that like I had really bad panic attacks. I was struggling to be outside, an array of symptoms. And then one day the practitioner realised there's something a little bit going on there. Um, but being at uni and the services that they provided bolstered my like my like treatment my plan mm -hmm. the support that I was getting it was amazing it was so so amazing and I have to th I ha literally have to thank the people there for, for, for the fact that I am here right now it was June 2020 the midst of the lockdown like that's when I was diagnosed and I was at home at the time and um yeah since then I've existed as all of us but before then there were things that would kind of highlight that there were different versions of me. So, for example, diary entries, things that I would do. Um, the way my appearance would change dramatically and I would have no idea how that happened. Um, I would go long periods of time or short periods of time of not knowing where I was, where I am, who I spoke to. I may have made a friend that I have no recollection about. People come up to me and they say, oh, my God, yes, Amber, how are you doing? And I will not know their name. Not because I'm being real. I just, they didn't share that with me. It wasn't me at the front. Um, it was quite dangerous, I would say, existing without knowing that I had a system. Um my life looked like a bunch of lists that weren't completed and I had no idea who was writing these lists I had no idea why like my entire room had transformed um and it was very broken and fragmented I would say and that's what the condition feels like right at the start when you've gone a long time not realizing your life feels very 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 disconnected and you feel like you've had a lot of time stolen from you yeah I can imagine that it sort of feels like there's sort of gaps in your so, so many yeah like. well, I mean gaps in the memory it's one of the biggest like um uh symptoms of the condition and so when I was diagnosed I remember the first thing like saying like oh I'm not crazy so I'm not going mad I'm not losing yeah. it and it was just reiterated that no you're actually having a very sane reaction to everything that you've experienced you're not mad there's a reason for why you are the way that you are for what you've done and I know that there's a lot of um, stigma around like trying to acquire a diagnosis. I wasn't like in any space to sort of accept the fact that I had this condition at the time. I think that that was very scary for me in terms of realizing like, oh God, mental health and mental illnesses in general are quite stigmatized. And now I've got something that's 
not even understood by normal practitioners. How am I supposed to exist? So a look at my daily life at that time was horrible because I had no idea whether I was coming and going. And through treatment, through therapy and through accessing services, I was finally able to kind of figure out what I am being needed, but how I could live as a system. And, you know, two and a half years on, I think we're doing pretty well. I was able to finally, um, I had to take an interruption at university to cope and deal with it all because it was during lockdown. And at that time, I actually had to move away as it was quite misunderstood within my community and within my media, I would say. So I had to take that time to sort of relearn how to exist as a system and just exist, I would say. So how many of you are there yeah, within, how many altars have you got within your system that you that you sort of rotate? I share the brain space with five other amazing women. Oh. Um, and at the start, it was just four. And then what happens that you realise is as you go on with the condition, it can be that when you reach like a level of safety, you might learn and uncover something else about yourself so that's basically what has happened um we believe that I reached like a level of safety for my self to kind of this self to sort of explore and be like I feel comfortable enough to come out now and show that I exist um which is quite nice to hear even though it throws like things up in the air it's like yeah. I'm glad you're to come out that's nice hi how are you doing welcome how, to the gang and how how different are the different alters from each other so there's obviously me, Ambia. I'm the host. I'm the one that like people will communicate with, um, daily life living. I'm the barrister at the front to be, God willing. Um, and we basically manage the day-to-day. And then in the back, you will have, they can range in different ages. So I do have an altar who is quite literally a child. And that can prove very difficult because as a result of it being a trauma, a, um, a condition that's sort of like risen from trauma, what we learned was like that individual was effectively in the body at the time that these traumatic experiences were happening. So there's that individual and she has a lot of, let's just, um, she struggles with being out. She struggles with communicating. She's mute, so she doesn't speak the food that she eats, the way she feels physically in the body is very different to how I feel in the body. So you can experience these things such as like body memories as part of like um, this condition where you'll experience some sort of pain. So when I feel like she's coming into the body, I can feel that. But also when there is a different altar in the body, the body physically changes. And sometimes you can share spaces with another altar but it does take time to kind of get to that point um I have another altar who's not a law student who dresses completely different to me has a completely different hairstyle she's more artistic I'd say she's even more outspoken than myself a bit more blunt I've got an altar who's a lot more softer than me um, a lot more caring, a lot more kind, a lot more quiet. Um, 
a lot more introverted than myself but they all range like very extremely differently having said that though there's a key thing that I want to point out about the sharing the spaces it took time but eventually my system kind of had to learn to trust each other that's one of the first thing that they teach in therapy after like don't be afraid of what you've got it it's trusting each other so we feel safer to kind mm -hmm. of exist and so what happens now is rather than me at the front feeling like I'm being blinded we have like an internal working plan where okay so A is going to be doing this today but B also needs to do this today because B wants to come out so how can A and B work together or it might be that B and C share the space together and I can take like that back seat now because we've built that sort of understanding whereas prior to knowing that you're a system or in that first year of knowing that I'm a system it was very much I'm blinded I don't have any control over my body what I'm doing where I am because somebody else is in the front yeah no, that's, that's really interesting one question I do have if that's okay and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this later in terms of your story <laughs> as a whole but just in terms mm -hmm. of your physical dress um for mm -hmm. people listening on the podcast <laughs> you're wearing mm -hmm. a headscarf so when you're in different yeah. all of your personalities wear a headscarf or do you ever have an issue with that sort of the Oh, so we definitely have an issue with that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wearing like the traditional garb. Um, I've got the headscarf wrapped around and I'm wearing Nabaya. Um, some alters might be a little bit more practicing me than myself. They might wear a jilbab. However, I have an alter who dresses quite alternatively. I'm talking like enough eyeliner for like days. Um, so what we'll have to do is we've had to come to an understanding where modesty like as a Muslim woman like we've had to kind of appreciate how we can change that to suit each altar whether there's things in our like outfits that we can kind of adapt if they can express themselves via jewelry or color or the makeup that I'm doing so like for me makeup is a massively expressive tool because it's something that my altars can use daily to kind of have their moment Thank you very much. That's, that was one thing that I when I just was I've been thinking as as you were saying it with um sort of I could as as you said the only representation that many of us have are through very negative presentations in films yeah. uh, and that's all really in terms of media we're exposed to and so that's as you say is it split isn't it the film is one the of the only, one of the only representations I can think of of this condition and then it's quite a negative presentation as a whole. Um, yeah. and very, very different um, alters um, that, that go between, including gender, mm -hmm. gender changing. Um, yeah. So the fact that you've got all women is, uh, you make it sound like a fantastic girl group, I'm not gonna lie. When, when you, <laughs> you sign off your email, it's like, Amy and the girls, I was like, here they come. Yeah. Like the girl group. Um, which is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for telling us um, yeah, a lot about that, which is uh, brilliant. You said that you, had your diagnosis whilst whilst at university, so an undergraduate mm -hmm. university. Um, big shout out to Manchester if they uh, did did all that they did. I know, yeah. Um, um, but but you said sort of until that point. Um, so how aware were you of your condition? Because quite often, yeah. You know, so a diagnosis changes a lot of things in someone's life. But um, sort of you're always quite conscious of something happening beforehand, unless it's like a sudden diagnosis. So how was school for you? Um, and sort of in the lead up to university. Um, you said that you had sort of some difficult times. So, how were your school receptive, and or did you have any um, sort of accessibility needs whilst at school that didn't necessarily have an answer as to why? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, 
school was rough. School was super rough. But um, high school was okay. It was good. But then college came and that's when I feel like things started to crumble a lot. Like you've gone from this amazing student who's got odd behavioral habits, can't quite figure out what's going on with that, but you're masking. And I feel like as a kid, you don't realize you're masking techniques. And then you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, I obviously. That was a bit raw. Oh, well, I was doing that. Um, so now when I look back at it, I'm like, poor thing, like you went through it, but you still like brave faced it. And then coming up to college, it started to crumble massively. Um, I think the intense pressure of everything. And at first it was just, okay, trauma, depression, anxiety, panic attacks. And that was like where my life was at. That's the, but when I first started like to sort of understand myself, that's the only ever like understanding that I had of like mental health and mental illness. But then within our community, it's that brave face, get over it, you're fine, it's okay. Mm -hmm. But for me, when I sunk, like I sunk so low that it was like, oh my God, this is not just my brain anymore. We are not feeling normal. Like, I can't get out of bed. I can't move. I'm not eating. I'm not bathing. I'm not sleeping. What is this? And when I talk about that time, I'm going to like refer to it as myself because at the time, like that's the only sort of, yeah. I have my memories, but everybody else's, it might be a bit more vague. Um, so when I was at college, it was really difficult. And I ended up having to like move to a different college because my grades completely plum plummeted and I didn't want to do the things that I was doing so I moved elsewhere and that's when it got even worse and they always say when it comes to trauma like when your body starts to feel safe that's when things start to catch up especially when you're transitioning from like um like childhood into teenagehood into adulthood like all mm -hmm. the little techniques that you had before they're just not cutting it anymore um and so after like my first year there I realized I can't get out of my house. I can't think. When I try to study, my brain feels like it's on fire. And at that point in time, we didn't know that I had ADHD as well. I was only recently diagnosed with ADHD as well. So I just couldn't bring myself to do, I would say, like neurotypical, ordinary, healthy lifestyle sort like living. I couldn't go outside or attend my classes and my my tutor actually pulled me in and the reason why she pulled me into chat was actually because I was a late start so she just wanted like a nice little one -on one and then she realized that I was struggling and she was kind about it but because it because of the way I was presenting because it was so far away from what I understood of myself I felt like it was fake mm -hmm. but you gaslight yourself and you're like oh my god how are these not going to understand it because I don't understand it and I'm trying to say to people like this is not me like this is not me I'm not normally like this I'm not normally like this having not recognized that I don't know what a normal is mm. quote unquote like I don't know what that is right now and I felt like it was a massive battle with myself and coming up to the end of that year it resulted in teachers like begging me to come in, begging me to write something down on the paper. And what I hadn't realised was I was switching even whilst in college. And if somebody was in the body and they did not want me to write, I'm not writing. writing. Yeah. And my teachers would beg me like, Ambi, please, 
put pen to paper and write something. And I used to like be really, really upset because I didn't know how to say like I'm paralyzed. Like I'm not with it. Like I'm not, this is not intentional. This is not me. I want to, I want to. But when I'm going about my day to day, I don't know where the gaps are going. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm late to your lesson. I don't know why I've not done this work. I don't know why I did that work. I don't know why I'm three weeks behind. I swear I did it. Where's it gone? Mm -hmm. um, and I actually ended up in hospital at the start of my A2. So like my second year of my A-levels. Um, and I was there for a month on, at a psychiatric unit. And that was definitely an insight into another world. And that's another reason as to why, like, I definitely want to work within the court of protection and question inquiries. And it's very much shaped the way I am right now and the way I advocate. Um, but I also put like a lot of um, fear into me because I always like considered that that place in my like teenage years to be like, that was my low. Mm. Mm -hmm. And at the time, everyone was applying to uni and what do we want to do in the next six months? And I just couldn't even see myself getting through the next hour without thinking I can't exist like this anymore. So I ended up in hospital and the, the next day, not the next day, the day after that I left hospital was when I actually got my university confirmation. And I, when I was applying for that, I had no clue. I remember just thinking, I'm going to do it, I'm going to send it, I'm going to leave it. Like, it's up to God. Oh. Wherever he takes me, he takes me. But I didn't even remember, like, I applied for all of those things. And then yeah. next thing you know, it happens. Um, I ended up doing my last year of college from home. I taught so much of it to myself. I found law triggering which was so funny because here I am and you know I did a law degree as well found it massively triggering and that obviously affected my results and when I would want to kind of like advocate and push to teachers and say like guys this is what I need this is what I'm like but I know I'm much more capable it was also kind of like side-eyed but they mm -hmm. didn't get like I would be putting myself through so much pressure to kind of exist and get through the day but what I do remember is my brain feeling like it was on fire. And I think at that point, so early on, I didn't know how to say these are the things that I needed. So I went to like one of my classes on FaceTime. And now like it's a when I got to uni, that was like a normal thing. It was acceptable for me to do that. But back then it wasn't. And even in my first year of uni, it wasn't. They were always like, you know, attendance is mandatory and you have to be in the room to get the good grades. Um I had the books at home and yeah that was it I just remember that time being very intense and like a blip and I really really struggled because I didn't know what sort of reasonable adjustments were available to me and also there were conversations about whether I was like medically fit to sit the exams mm -hmm. um, and I don't think a lot of my teachers thought I'd have gotten this far having said that there were some teachers who were like we remember her when she came in and she was like that and we know somewhere deep down like she's still there and they kind of were like okay we acknowledge and we sort of accept you with all of these things how can we push you and then there were teachers who'd look at me like she's a bit of lost cause just another number in the class and that was really that was I don't want to say crap that was really crap 
he can say it it was just really <laughs> crap because there's me trying to tell you i'm not that student i'm not flippant i'm not lazy it's not that i don't care i just don't understand what's happening and yeah, honestly it just sounds like absolute exhaustion you must have been totally and utterly exhausted just me hearing it second hand mm-hmm. i'm like wow because obviously i i remember a levels as um you know, I had my own challenges. I'm I'm registered blind, and so obviously I was going through stuff then, and and I'm sure Charlotte remembers it. But oh my goodness, listening it from 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 your account, it just sounds like you've had such difficulties trying to quite literally find yourself. Um, yeah, and I I know I know people use the phrase you know oh, I'm finding myself, but honestly it just sounds exhausting like you're you're in the room but you're not in the room not and that room. must have been that must have been so difficult for you um some things that you've mentioned um earlier um which I'd just like to touch up on if if that's okay you you mentioned that you um the community around you didn't quite get it and that you've had to move away um mm-hmm. I come from a South Asian community as well and I know that disability is not spoken about it's brushed under the carpet so I was quite intrigued to know more about your experiences especially with a um a mental health condition uh, mm-hmm. and you being neurodivergent as well what that has been like for you so I think when it comes to disabilities our community is so many years behind it's very stigmatized Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to talk about and even from a spiritual aspect it's looked as if like you know either god's punishing you or god's trying to teach everybody else around you a lesson um Mm -hmm. i had to move away because if you there is nothing physically wrong with you then what is actually wrong with you and i put quotation marks um because there's nothing wrong with us like we exist how we are and you know I it was so difficult to kind of try and explain to somebody like no this is what's happening inside of my head and then validate myself at the same time and it got to a point where it was it was it's difficult to exist and it almost becomes unsafe for you especially Mm -hmm. when you're newly trying to learn about um learn about it and I think I just, it's it's hard to say where it stems from I don't know whether it's a lack of understanding or whether it's a lack of knowledge or just because disabilities are like frowned upon are stigmatized that we kind of just not want to open up to those conversations but I think to my own immediate circle it was there cannot be anything wrong with you there you can't have this illness this condition and obviously because it was a mental illness that's not widely known um it was looked as if like I was crazy like I was just some sort of like spiritual affliction that I was being possessed by demons or whatever and I've had like certain individuals try and say that and I realized that this whole thing like just being here is very unsafe for me I have to leave and so I did in the middle of the lockdown I left with the support of services um sort of coordinating what I needed to do but I remember like I had no money but I was just like I need to go this is not safe for me and if I want to literally like be alive 
and kind of understand myself and my system, I won't be able to like thrive here anymore. And so I did. I'm um, I'm so glad that you that you did that you found yourself somewhere that you can be safe in because you're right. I do think uh, some people they 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 think they have the best intentions and they mm. uh, they really don't. Like one example I can give, which is not at the same level as you know someone trying to do uh, a um, exorcism, An exorcism uh, but, one, yeah. <laughs> but for example the most low-key example I can give is uh, I'm legally blind and people will say you need to eat carrots and I'm like no it really doesn't work no. like that you know so um it I I, I get it yeah. and um and um it's not nice that you that you've had to go through that now I did have one other question, which is off the cuff before we go back to our little script. Um, and that was, you you say that you now have a better system with your identities. And you mentioned keeping a journal um, in the past and how it was sort of, you know, mm -hmm. not, not, not coherent. Um, mm -hmm. Is that something that you do so that your next altar could sort of hunt up where you oh. left off from? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, regarding the journal and the writing, so one thing that we realised was we all have different handwriting and most wow. of the time it's not legible. <laughs> and so when I would look back, I'd be like, I don't know who wrote this. What are you trying to tell me? But then when I'd look back to my, like, my diary and she's from like 2016, 2017, 2018, I'm talking about an A and I'm talking about B and I'm talking about C and I'm describing them as like, phases or you know passing people within my life like but I didn't realize that oh my gosh like they're within me and in terms of like the journal writing now that's how we exist now so I will have different notebooks for different altars whether they choose to use them or not is a whole different thing because you have to kind of like learn to get to that point or like different post-it notes that have like different memories on them like oh so and so said this today make sure you talk about it later on tutor said this today i've opened up the email can you open it up and read it things like that so like regularly what will happen is if somebody else is in the front and they've read the email and we're going through a difficult time or whatever i won't have seen that email so now we've learned mm -hmm. to kind of adjust and be like ambia go and check all your emails because somebody else has probably done it and they've not said anything mm -hmm. so that's one of the tools that we use now to kind of communicate with each other it's the journals it's the lists it's the big whiteboards or mm -hmm. even notes um another thing that's really helped is instagram we <laughs> all take pictures on my instagram and we say it's accountability but effectively it's us being able to snap into each other's like lives or like mm -hmm. that's so strange to say yeah our lives like we share the life so yeah we snap into each other's day to day and we kind of see like oh look what she was doing she was having a great time look at it she did that um tools like that really help that's definitely really really, really help that's really interesting and it's what I, what I like is hearing it so positively as well it's just like uh, how are you like helping each other <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like, yeah exactly like, oh, we need to help a post -it note. yeah when it comes then to you said that you mentioned things about like remembering stuff that your tutor said um, and things like that. And you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that not everyone wants to do law. <laughs> so linking it a little bit back to law, um, how mm -hmm. do you uh, 
how do you make that work? So if, uh, mm -hmm. if you, what you, uh, your sort of current elder wants to study or someone mm -hmm. else comes through, how does that work at, at university yeah, while studying at university or whilst doing exams and things like that? Do you, how do you plan? How do you, how do you plan when you don't necessarily know how to plan? <laughs> you know what? A few years in, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still trying to figure it out. Um, so at university, the immediate things that we did was, I think the disability service team, like they were like, okay, let's do something for your deadlines because clearly not everybody wants to follow the deadline. Um, I also needed to sort of let my support team know that if you get an email from my email, check who's signing it off or check who's not signing it off. Because at that time there wasn't a lot of trust in the system. So when these things are happening, like I had no clue that they were happening. Um, so deadlines were a thing being available for seminars showing up and um, we mentioned about attendance how prior to prior to like covid you had to be in the room and yeah. be present for everything now in my first year when I'm not turning up I got like a, a massive like you know talking to for not being present where it was like okay well if you're not going to be in the room you're not going to learn and you're not going to know but the difference is that like I wasn't in the room for a lot of my seminars and I was still able to somewhat do the work and still like particularly now the bars it's a horribly intensive course and oh. the, the requirement to turn up is a nightmare got that yeah um except for now perhaps that we've got things like recordings which are very helpful for when when you're at the front and you're able to to study but what happens if an alter's there at the moment that you you want to study but an alter's taken taken from we're having internal conversations right now that's why I'm just like <laughs> look are you listening to this like are you guys hearing this when I need to study because they get like I need to study it's all of you right now <laughs> yeah. so um you have to kind of combine the agenda so right now we're at a place where we have trust within the system and they all understand that for us to continue existing and for us to sort of thrive in day-to-day -day society Ambia wants to be a barrister uh, go we've all collectively decided to like you know we're existing and for her to do well that means we have to kind of cooperate because her doing well is us doing well and that's like a regular thing that we have to sort of discuss I would also say making sure that each of them have their time in the day and are receiving like their space um I think blocking out time now but it's always so unexpected like because it's a very exhausting condition. So aside from just sharing the brain space, like you're hearing voices, I'm having internal conversations all the time. And that's another thing that spooks people, like the voice hearing. But imagine I'm in a seminar or we're trying to have a conversation right now. She's talking. Yeah. A, B, C, D, want to talk. Somebody wants to speak to me. Or they've got something to say if we're sharing the brain space. So mm -hmm. it'll be trying to do like grounding techniques, things to let them know like okay this is what we have to do right now this is MBR's priority right now and making sure each of them have their need met um because if their needs aren't met I can't drive I can't move forward because we have to work together as a team mm -hmm. so yeah university deadlines it would be um just the things put in place like okay if Ambi is not attending a seminar what does that mean um recording what else was there access to books having like a safe space within the library that helped massively because I would struggle so much to be like to get outside of the house so when things started to open up again 
having like a safe space in the library that's sort of like understood for individuals who have issues with accessibility that helped me out a lot but also having like a coordinated person that I could just say like okay is am I doing the right thing is this the right thing um but academically it would be having that conversation with myself and then realizing like I massively struggled with retaining the information because it would literally feel like my brain was on fire because of how tired I was and how many things I was having to juggle it's like having kids like <laughs> juggling all of that and like trying to be a student it was rough giving giving the right so, time. yeah yeah but then when I when I finally got it and I think after trialing and erroring it for two years my final year at university thank god was I would say the best one because they all clicked like okay put your mitigating circumstance in she'll have to do it in her own time she'll have to do it when she's ready to do it there is no harm in sitting exams in summer or deferring exams it's like one of my like mo's is that I will literally have to sit an exam in summer because the more stressed I am the more like episodes I'm going to face and the more difficult it's going to be for me and it is like I can't manage that and it's not worth me jeopardizing my health and my literal sanity for these exams so like I will space out my exams I will space out my deadlines and it's kind of like I will have to get to it when I can get to it but now we've become a lot more efficient I think for the bar course I struggled quite a bit in terms of so I've been at like University of Manchester for so long and they've sort of got used to my reasonable adjustments. And then when you have to shift somewhere else and be like, hi, here's <laughs> me. And I'm presenting really well in class and I'm masking and all sorts. But like, you know, there's also like five others and, you know, my yeah. name's Ambier and I exist as this. And that was so difficult to get my reasonable adjustments in place that it resulted in me actually like missing one of my first exams. So I had to wow. miss my conference exam because no reasonable adjustments were like properly put in place. Yeah. And I think that re I struggle with that. Like, especially as a bar student with a disability, the last thing you need is an added layer of pressure. 100%. And I think it was it was difficult, like changing from like uni to that. But yeah, still trying to figure out the the way in which we study well, aside from like time blocking and having a conversation and making the lists. It's very much soothing myself and being like, you know you are going to get to it. Don't beat yourself up for it. And I think when it comes to mental illnesses, it really is that. Because you've got like so much going on inside anyway. Or any disability, you've got so many other things to consider anyway. And then there's that. And I know like when, when it comes to like outside stuff, there's supposed to be fun things that you look forward to, but I've noticed individuals disabilities it's like oh my god here's another like like another layer of like stress that I have to worry about or like another hill that I have to climb yeah so it was difficult but now I'm here I'm like towards the end of my bar course I've had to space out my exams pre-concessions are put in place so it's not a thing that I have to worry about if I do like experience like an episode before an exam or before a deadline recordings in the last semester I had access to recordings finally so the first semester I don't have any access to like any sort of tools but for the last half like I finally do um but yeah that's all I've got right now yeah spacing the exams out and then if, if oh an additional time sorry oh brilliant I was gonna say so if to, thank if you, god 
<laughs> I have an Thank God. Um, yeah, <laughs> so when it comes to an exam, if on the day it's not your day, it's not your mm-hmm. time, you're allowed to say, are you allowed to say that and sort of say no? It's, it's like, yeah. That makes so much so sense. So I'm allowed to basically say, you know, I'd like to like trigger my preconcession. I know for a fact I'm not going to be able to sit this exam. If I was to sit it, X, Y, Z would happen. But even then, because the preconcession is filled out, all I have to do is email and say, I'm triggering my preconcession and leaving it at that, which is great because it takes off that added worry of like when I am back back to the front, what am I doing? And even that habit of like communicating to your support team, the main thing is communicating, make sure you're telling somebody that I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, because they're not going to know if you're not telling them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the, if there's only, if there's something, only thing I want like anybody to like, just, just say something, just let them know. Mm-hmm. So in terms of additional time, thank God I've been given additional time because I struggle so much, especially with the pressure. It's very, very difficult. It just calms you regardless, I think. it's Even if yeah. you don't need it, just knowing it's there means... Yeah. So I, I had pain waves and exactly that. When I, If my body is physically stressed, I get a physical reaction, which is often yeah. shooting pain. And so if I know, okay, this is a three-hour exam, you've got five hours, you've got two mm-hmm. hours to be in solid pain if you need to be. Yeah. It just released everything. And I didn't necessarily use Feel it. Yeah. Uh, but it just meant that my body was more relaxed um, and I also had um, I could also like pause the clock if I needed to and go and stretch or whatever so mm-hmm. yeah that is really really beneficial. But in, you've sort of spoken about your um, educational side have you managed mm-hmm. to do any legal work experience or even sort of the thought and process of starting that how has that been have you managed to sort of do any and what have you is there anything you've learned from it if you have? So I think I did a placement a few years ago with the CPS, but in terms of like minis and actual like legal experiences, I've struggled a lot with them purely because number one, right at the start, like whilst I was at uni, so much of my time went on yeah, I can imagine. figuring this out. Mm-hmm. And then there was also that worry of like, I don't have the time to do it, but also I don't know whether I can do it, but then what if something goes wrong? Like, you don't feel confident in yourself to see yourself in those spheres. And I feel like when it comes to the bar world, it's massively like a thing. Like I remember I mentioned to you guys about like, there's like an ideal barrister and then there's like yourself. And when it came to legal experiences, I sort of struggled with, I struggled with it because I didn't see myself in those spaces and I didn't know how to communicate like, hey, this is what it's going to look like and these are my reasonable adjustments. Um, and more often than not, it would come to like the day and I'd be like, I can't, I'm so sorry, I can't make it for X, Y, Z reason. Um, but rather than focusing on the legal, actual legal experience, which obviously is so massively important, I tapped into other things so a lot of like volunteering work that I did, um, a lot of advocacy work. So I would like to, uh, I would say I, it was somebody else, but <laughs> it worked for them. You know, tutor like um, refugees who had just come to the country, like how to speak English so they can access like basic provisions such as like healthcare, um, going to community services, um, that sort of thing. I then worked with like refugee action for a bit like once a week in the morning on like a Wednesday 
for a few hours but like that little time block everybody like learned like that was for me and then eventually refugee action like I was able to disclose my disability to them and that was really good um like being a carer so like things that weren't necessarily like legal based but enough for me to kind of like enhance my advocacy skills my soft skills my people skills mm-hmm. um learning about certain areas of law like working like with the pro bono clinics family law working at the Sharia council for family law being Incredible. able to do all of things mm-hmm. remotely as well at times where I couldn't see myself stepping out of the house um yeah honestly Ambia I think you've listed a really really good uh, selection of work experience and it completely makes sense when you explain why you haven't gained the traditional work experience Mm -hmm. it's because you might not know if you're the one showing up that completely makes sense when you've been able to obtain other work experience which gives you that um, interpersonal skills like you know volunteering yeah. here xyz refugee action that's amazing I've done some work experience with them as well um, and I just think you know when you sort of don't worry about when it comes to applying for work experience um, because you can explain the gap quite well I, I know yeah. it might take you some time to figure out how to explain it and if you ever need help with that then let us know because we'd be, you know, very um, yeah. happy to sort of help you. Because um, I, I can completely understand it. You, you, you're diagnosed quite recently and you do have a very niche condition. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so honestly, um, I think the way you've just explained it, the fact that, yeah, I don't have traditional work experience because I might not be the person showing up, but I have all this other advocacy experience, which I can work around. Um, it, it sort of meets the game and satisfies the goal so don't worry about that at all it's more valuable I, mean, I, th- I think that everyone's got minis and I, I've never been I don't think I've ever been except for once I think I don't think I've ever had even a pupillage interview and I've done a few of them um where they even ask me about my mini pupillages like they don't care they look at it and go yeah I'd rather hear about yeah. this. I'd rather hear about yeah. that minis. and for, to be honest mini pupillages are more for yourself to sort of see an area of law and actually like, I gained as much experience from like going and sitting in the public gallery for open cases and mm-hmm. then then you're not you don't have to be there for a barrister but you're still seeing absolutely everything apart from the behind the scenes bit that you would mm-hmm. um and I used to get in my spare time at school I used to go and sit in the magistrate's courts and sometimes you'd have a magistrate being like are you a journalist I'm like no I'm a student yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great and they were like oh cool yeah you sit there and then it's always awkward then when someone that you went to primary school with steps up into the... Into the oh, God. <laughs> it was a very interesting day. Don't drug deal. Oh um, but, yeah, so it's it's just there's things that, you know, you can do that you can say, I know I want to do this because I've done X. I'm not necessarily done um, <laughs> mini pupillages. Um, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily matter. And, you know, I, I loved doing my minis. But actually, in terms of what I gained, I did more, you know, did essay competitions which show that I can write for fun. Or, yeah, know, did, a, did a speech for this, and I did advocacy here. And I think it's the second you said the refugee program and volunteering, I was like, "You ticks." My, my yeah. for you. So, like, and and there's some chambers that now offer remote mini pupillage as well. So that's something that you could look into if that's what you're comfortable with. I finally reached like a point now as well, where with all the volunteering that I've got under my belt, and with the way that my system feels, 
you know, confident enough to be like, okay, I'm going to apply to this. Whatever happens, happens. And I think I can just advocate for myself a little bit more better than I could have done when everyone is in like undergrad applying for the minis. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. I feel a little bit more embellished, a little bit more ready for it. Fantastic. Um, so looking ahead a little bit, so you you talked about your sort of your university time and you're finishing the bar course hopefully this summer uh, with your exams nicely spaced out. Are you finishing this year? Yeah. Yep. Um, that's still like in Sorry. place. So I've decided that I'm going to do a few exams in the summer, and it might be that I push a few to December just because. Yeah. Yeah. Makes makes. Sense. You know the vibe. I know the vibe. Don't mm-hmm. worry. Um, so yeah, so after you finished your bar exams, uh, you got to the other side. Um, what do you have any plans sort of after that? Are you hoping to apply for pupillage? Um, and if not, or in the gap in between, because you have to apply so ridiculously far ahead. Um, yeah. what, is, what are your hopes for the, the middle bit? Are you looking for jobs after that or any plans so far? So I will be applying for pupillage this year. Last year, I was very scared about last year. Well, the cycle that's just gone out was very, very hesitant to kind of apply for pupillage. I was like, no, I don't want to take time away from the studies. But then also, like, the, I feel like there's sort of, like, preamble fear. And then it got to, like, the last week. And my mentor was like, just do two. You just never know. So I did apply eventually. I think this year I've got a lot more um, a lot more vim for it. I'm like, right, I'm going to give it everything I can. Um, and mm-hmm. I feel like because I'm spacing out my exams, it's going to feel like I've got a little bit more breathing space. If yeah. I get it, great, the dream, we love it, life's been made. And if I don't, um, so I think it's going to be the same plan that I had for this year. So I mentioned to my tutor how I want to do a lot more work within my community regarding like DV mm-hmm. and um, so like domestic abuse, domestic violence, and accessibility to Islamic divorces and sort of eradicating those sort of misconceptions within my community. We noticed that like there's a gap between Asian women sort of accessing legal provisions, especially within pro bono clinics, because they don't realise that they're there or they don't realise that there's actually immediate relief that they can find legally when they are in like domestic abuse situations. So I'm currently in the process of actually doing that. I actually had a meeting this morning with um, Rochdale's Women's Welfare Association to deliver some presentation and training to the entire staff there. I feel like I'm going to spend a lot more time doing community-based work and then I think I want to pause from the law for maybe like a month or so and then look for um maybe some more experience within like a legal setting that'd be good can I just say that sounds absolutely incredible Ambia like I am I'm so for this go go you (laughs) thank you that sounds that sounds brilliant I think there's there's so much you can learn from transporting it into community and I did my master's in domestic violence and work for a domestic violence organization and you can't I can't sort of explain how beneficial that was not only to sort of speaking to people um, and having to break bad news to people but also having them talk about really traumatic experiences to you is so valuable particularly if you're going into things like family work and specializing in court protection or doing inquiry work you know you'll go people say to you how do you deal with these sort of hearing such traumatic things? It's like, well, you know, I've, I've not become accustomed to it because that's a horrible thing to think, but yeah, you, know, you are used to, to, to having those conversations yeah. and present those. And so that would be a great thing. Yeah, if, if you can if you can do that, I think it's brilliant. Um, and um, 
yeah no a, a great plan I think it's, it's so so important to be able to do that kind of work as well I, I, I said alongside that like right now I'm also a carer so like a personal assistant for individuals with like learning disabilities uh, mental health mm -hmm. conditions um and like those individuals who live in like assisted um or supported living situations and I think I'll carry that on as well yeah. and I don't think I'll ever leave that job if I'm completely honest like even when like you know God willing, one day when I'm a practicing barrister, I don't think I'll ever stop doing that job. I love it too much. There, there are, there are yeah, those are the plans. Yeah, I think that's that's what's great. What's great about the bar is that you can balance things with all yeah. with you know, how much you want to do. That's fantastic. That's brilliant news. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have now come to the last few questions of the podcast, and we normally ask them in a bunch of threes. So the first, um, I'll say them. I'll say them all at once, and you can sort of answer them in turn. But the first question is: if you could tell us about um, your worst experience that you've had um, encountering your disability, um, then if you could tell us about one of your best experiences that you've had about encountering your disability, um, and then if there's one thing that you'd like a listener to take away from your story, what would that be? Okay um i'll start off with worst thing i would mm -hmm. say the worst thing in this time uh particularly for somebody like who's got a disability is is what i mentioned before like having your ideal understanding of what a barrister is um a really stoic resilient individual who stands up in the face of adversary who's quite strong and you know firm and tight-lipped and almost like doesn't show any sort of like emotion like when you see like barristers presented in the media or whatever you just see right okay what a hard guy like they're cool as that and then yourself and I felt like the worst bit for me during this whole journey especially this year was the realization that like I don't fit that image I don't fit the stoic barrister um I'm sensitive and I'm very empathetic and I feel things a lot and I'm juggling a lot myself and yes I'm resilient and not in the ways that your ideal understanding of a stereotypical barrister is and I always would feel like I don't fit that image so how am I going to be that how can I apply myself to be like that so that was like the worst bit of not feeling like I'm going to fit in for the fact that I don't fit the image that I have in my head and then after having spoken to a friend about it she was like you are putting those um stereotypes there yourself mm -hmm. like why can you not be that barrister why can you not ambient like you be the barrister and what I realized was my experiences are what is going to cultivate like the best advocate and I think the best thing that I've learned is me having DID and all of these altars and me coming from the demographic that I do me being working class me being Muslim me having the experiences and the understanding and being soft and feeling a thousand different things at the same time and thinking you know creatively and not taking the normal approaches what's going to help me advocate for a wide set of people so whilst I'm not I may not be that stoic barrister I will one day be the best type of barrister for like hopefully like my people and myself I think I'll be a better well-rounded advocate for all the experiences that I've had so yeah I kind of flipped it 
between the two. That's, that's absolutely fair because yeah I completely agree actually the, we, we've spoken to, to people who come on here who um people now come to them and say my client I, has a disability and they want you and that's you know, mm-hmm. the opposite to what they thought would happen they thought people would be like, oh, I don't want them and actually yeah. you, you you not not even just sharing the experience but having a wider understanding of what going through a certain experience is like even if you can relate as opposed to being exactly the same, I, it, that's absolutely correct. And I think the year, the more, you know, especially the as we get a little bit older and we see the bar changing kind of before our eyes and, and how brilliant it is to have such a variety of people. And actually it isn't beneficial to have everyone looking exactly the same at the bar or being <laughs> exactly the same back. I'm not going to say which demographics those are. We can all uh, interpret that. Um, but yeah, it is it's so great that we have, people who could have different experiences and I think you, you've got a really valuable um you know set of yeah. skills that you can bring and I think exactly that you'll be it'll be brilliant yeah um and I think the one thing to take away mm-hmm. aside from the thing that I said earlier about communicate 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 with everyone let them know don't keep it all in um I'd like make a point of what I just said where if you don't see yourself there, yes, it is a very difficult, difficult thing to push past. But if you are not the bar, then how are we going to reflect you there? How are we going to represent your people? So to be the bar, like you have to be there. Um, that's one of the things that my friend that's told me. Quite, right, start. quite powerful. Oh my goodness! And I love your friend. Um, yeah, that, that I think Charlotte. That must be my favorite thing that I've had. Be the bar. Uh, in, in be there. Yeah, be there. That's going in a tweet. Be the bar. Be the bar or be square. (laughs) Be there or be square. Like I know it takes like I feel like being disabled as well. Like there's it's a lot of emotional labor sometimes to try and have to educate those around us, Um, and it can be quite exhausting because it's another tasking thing to do as well as like existing. But yeah, you got to be there. You literally just have to be there if you want to change it. You've got to actually be the one to do it. So yeah, I'll be the barrister that I wanted to see and we'll just reflect the population a little bit more better. <laughs> oh my God, this is the best way to end the podcast. My heart is actually glowing. I'm so happy you've come on the podcast, Ambia. And I'm so happy that you're now in a place where you're able to see the future in, in a positive way. And it's it's just so lovely to to, to listen to. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for me um thank you so much for coming on um we really do appreciate it and i've learned so much and i think what i would like to thank you for is coming on to talk about a condition that as you mentioned and we've said a couple of times is very stigmatized by the media and not understood at all uh and i've learned so much through this and it's it's similar where we have had people come on in the past with epilepsy who had a diff- completely different way uh, a, a completely different um form of epilepsy that we didn't know existed which you know we just know usually as the public that there's flashy lights and that's it yeah. um, and it was so different and so important I think to be able to share different disabilities so can I just thank you for coming on and uh, you know explaining so much and sharing so much with us which is obviously quite personal and we really appreciate that you're willing to to come on and do that so thank you very much um I love this don't know how I'm going to get it down to an hour but we'll make it work <laughs> Um, um, but yeah thank you so much for coming on I've really enjoyed it and hopefully we can meet in person some point but it's nice to meet you virtually Um, thank you for giving up your evening Um, happy Eid go and enjoy and eat and do thank you
you so much. Um, but ha, thank you very much for coming on. And for everyone um, listening at home, thank you very much for listening. Um, I've been Charlotte. Um, Halima has been co-hosting with me. And we will see you in the next episode. You've been listening to Disabilities Not a Bar. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.